This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. is said over 600 miles and we have the best of it today on NASCAR America. Welcome in everybody. Carol Lamana with Parker Kligerman here and our crew chief Steve Latart is down at Burns Garage, North Carolina. Steve, did you pick Parker in your fantasy lineup this week? Parker, I wanted to after you looked good in practice, but I just couldn't check the box for Parker. But I will say I was almost wrong. At one point, you were getting ready to pass Matt Kenseth, which would have proved me wrong. But it was a good run, Parker. Fun to watch. Appreciate it. Thanks, but I I chose myself. I think what we're getting at here is Parker's the only one that put Parker in their fantasy lineup. Yes, probably. I think in the percentage-owned portion, it said zero. So I was the only one. All right, more fantasy discussion coming up on the show. We've got a big show for you today. We're going to have more insight from Kyle Busch and Crew Chief Adam Stevens on how they put together one of the most dominant Coca-Cola 600 performances ever. We're also going to focus on some underdog drivers who made the most of their Sunday night battles in the pack. Plus, the inspiring story of NASCAR pit crew member Brianna Daniels. Last year, she made history, and now she is making a name for herself in the sport. But let's start with how the race to Miami is shaping up. After NASCAR's longest race, six drivers have virtually guaranteed a playoff berth with a win. That includes Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick and Clint Boyer and another Stuart Haas driver, Eric Almarola, in position to make the playoffs. And we have a special treat today as he and Dave Burns join us live from the team's headquarters in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Dave, I'm so excited that you're with us here in real time. What what a special day. I know. We test flew this plane last week, and it seemed to work. So here we are live at Stuart House Racing this week. And it's a special night here, actually. It's family night. So Eric's here, but so is the family. And I hear there's ice cream. So if I behave, I think I can head over there and get some a little bit later. But we want to talk about racing, of course. And let's start with, uh, we just showed the grid. You're good on points right now toward the playoffs. So it's been a pretty good year so far for you, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we're off to a good start. you're going to have to beat Alex and Abby to the ice cream station if you're going to want the ice cream. I can tell you that. They're already wearing me out. They got here 30 seconds, and they wanted to see race cars, go see Johnny in his office, and then go get ice cream. So That's the right order. Family night here at Stuart Haas Racing. What a, what a cool event to, uh, to be here. We've got about 380 employees and to have all their spouses and kids here, and they've got bounce houses and a band and food, obviously, uh, a lot of it Smithfield products, so we've got ri- we've got ribs and pulled pork and, and all kind of stuff out there. So it's a, it's a fun night. But yeah, back to racing. We're we're doing we're doing pretty good so far. We're off to a good start. Um, you know, human nature's greed, so you always want more. But uh, but we're off to a really good start. We're top ten in points, which is where we need to be to, to make the playoffs. And um, you know, we just got to keep building that foundation. And I thought we were going to see a little bit more building on that at Charlotte after a top 10 start. Yeah. And then stage points, stage one and two, 
Where did the night go wrong? Uh, right before stage three, there was a, there was a caution and we had just a, a few laps on our tires and we, we elected not to pit. And I thought we were going to be okay. And we had a green flag where we only ran two or three laps and it, it allowed a lot of the guys that came and pitted, uh, to pass, you know, a, a handful of cars really quickly uh, that were behind us and so the next restart that came we had kind of made our bed at that point so we we had to uh, stick with that decision and we had just too many cars with with much better tires behind us and so we lost quite a bit of track position we went from running fifth back to about 17th and 20 laps uh, at the end of stage three and then you know we, we had a great pit stop on pit road and came out i think 14th or 15th and restarted and that last stage just went green the whole way and that was that was honestly one of our worst runs we just back in traffic and, and really tight so we finished 13th um but a lot of positive to be gained from it we had an incredible night on pit road our guys did a really really good job uh they were solid and consistent all night um, and the first two parts of the, the race, we were, we were really good. I felt like we were a top five, top seven car. So um, we just we got back in traffic and, and weren't good enough to make it back up through there. Well, while, while Kyle was already in Pocono, uh, what was the racing like back there? Well, the, I only spent a little bit of time back there um, it, it, that last 120 laps, and it was tough. You know, we just we, we struggled to get going back there. Every, every little problem that I had running in the top five, top six, uh, was just compounded, you know, being back in the field and dirtier air. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm disappointed that we finished 13th because I, I really felt like we were an easy top 10 car, um, maybe a top five if we, if we made the right adjustments at the end of the race. But um, it just it didn't work out that way. But, you know, Johnny and, and I and, and as a team, we just have to continue to learn. And so that's one of those instances where, um, you know, you store that in the memory bank and hopefully uh, the rest of the year goes like the, the first part of the season and we'll be in the playoffs and when that time comes we'll come down pit road and we'll be on offense instead of defense we're standing here eric and my view is of the four car uh except for this weekend they they've been such a solid top contender every week yeah. how much does that help pull the organization along when they're having such a good year well high tide raises all ships for sure and so you know i think uh, with kevin and rodney and what they're doing and how well they're running it, it certainly brings a lot to the organization and 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 helps you know lift up the the uh you know the performance of all the other teams but i feel like it's it's a collective unit you know i feel like um not being here and being kind of new to the organization but listening to clint and kurt talk and listening to the other crew chiefs and stuff i feel like this is this is by far the best um all four teams have worked together and everybody's collaborated and it just seems like it's it's working like everything is really fitting and working well um you've got all four cars consistently running in the top 10 we show up and all four cars have speed every weekend obviously the four car is 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 head and shoulders um above the field most weekends uh you know the first 13 races so far but um as a whole i would say as a company we're 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 doing really, really well, and our cars are fast. And it goes, you know, back to all these men and women that are working here in the shop. The reason we're having family night at Stuart Haas Racing, um, there's so much sacrifice that goes away from their spouses, and they work long hours. And even when we're winning, you know, they still put in the extra hours, and they're working overtime, and they're getting here at 6 o'clock in the morning, and it's all just to make these race cars go faster. And it shows up on the racetrack every weekend. So what about Pocono? Can you be the leader and, and help the group along? 
I hope so. Uh, Johnny's uh, got a good track record at Pocono. He does, doesn't he? Uh, he's uh, he's batting a 1,000 at Pocono. He stepped in and uh, was a, an interim crew chief um, for a weekend there with Kurt yep. and got his first win as a, a cup crew chief. So uh, we've got that going for us. And, you know, I think as a whole, this organization has run really well there. So I've got Kurt to lean on and, and Kevin to lean on and Clint, and they've all, you know, run really well there in the past. So I've got, I've got you know, the, the, the opportunity to already study some of their data leading into the event. We had a meeting today about uh, Pocono and sat and discussed it, and I asked a lot of questions. Uh, so I'm ready. I'm studied up, and I'm ready to go. So now all we have to do, Carolyn, is get him full of pork and ice cream and probably keep him away from the bounce houses, and he'll be fine. <laughs> all right. That sounds like a good plan, Dave. Thank you. And go get an ice cream cone. You have certainly earned that today. Um, we appreciate you guys being with us live on the show. Steve, let's start with you here. You just heard Eric Amarola detail his night on Sunday night. You were there as part of our broadcast team, you know, taking some practice reps, watching the entire race unfold. Did you see anything that he was just describing? Well, Carolyn, what I really like is that Eric Almirola wasn't very general about their night. He had a specific moment. In a four-hour race, 400 laps, he had a specific moment in time that he knows cost his team a chance at a top five or a top seven. Those are the types of runs, those are the types of races that help a team improve. You know, if you go back to last year and you would have talked to Eric Almirola, you know, what happened in the race, there would have been a very general list of a laundry list of things that he needed to do better, the team needed to do better. What I heard of the 600 is he didn't, he didn't fool us. He didn't want to lie to us and say, hey, we had a winning car. Nope, we weren't going to beat Kyle Busch, but we were going to run inside the top 10, maybe inside the top five, except for one issue where we didn't come down to pit road. And the second part I loved about that is he didn't say his crew chief. He didn't say his team. We. He said we a lot, which is a team that is working together, even in a poor decision, one that's easy to fix on Monday and look back and know what you should have done. He is kind of taking it on the chin for the whole race team and looking at the positives. I love to hear that he's disappointed with the 13th Parker. You know, that I think is the next step for Eric Amarola. His teammates are running so well. He's having such a great year. I'm ready to see Eric move from just outside the top 10 to competing for those top fives. No doubt, Steve. And I think something he probably experienced when he went from running fifth to back to 17th was how crazy the racing was in that mid-pack. And I think that's something I noticed and I heard a lot from my spotters and my team was they're racing like crazy up front. Keep digging, bud, because it felt like at any point we might see a massive wreck. We saw a lot of two-wide, three-wide racing and using all the grooves. And then just in that mid-pack, I know Kyle Busch was far out front, but in that mid-pack, it seemed like you, as a, as a driver, could make a big difference depending on what lane you were in and be able to find clean air, be able to find places to make passes. And that's what made this race so interesting in the mid-pack. And I'm sure he talked about, you know, once he got back there that they were able to work up a little bit, but they got kind of stopped in 13th. And a lot of that is sometimes you get back in dirty air and your car changes, you don't get to work as much. But I think some of it also had to go down to the fact that there was just cars probably everywhere on the racetrack as he tried to move forward, and every lane was taken as he tried to move forward. So, Steve, I think the racing mid-pack was some of the best we've ever seen at Charlotte. Well, Parker, as Carolyn alluded to, I was there in person on Sunday night, and it's one thing to watch the leader, and I think we all get in the habit of that. But to your point, from 5th to 15th, 15th to 20th, it was an absolute brawl. It was every inch of the racetrack was occupied and every position was contested. And I think that has a lot to do with the track preparation. They put a little bit of the sticky stuff on the second and third grooves. I think that helped. Normally, we've seen Charlotte in the evening be a very one-groove racetrack. And while it was dominated by one car and Kyle Busch, it was not a one-groove racetrack. 
Two names that come to mind that proved this multiple times throughout the night starts with Jamie McMurray. Every time I looked out front of me out of the window and watched this one car, he was either on the apron running or right around the bottom of the racetrack or right on the fence running what I consider the third groove moving throughout the night. He had a little issue early, kind of lost his track position in stage one, but battled his way up through. Another car that did that was the two of Brad Kozlowski. He didn't have the smoothest of 600s, but he found a way to gain back time that he had lost early. And I think in Charlotte races of the past, those two teams are kind of dead in the water. You lose your track position, you're done. Even Eric Amarola, who went back to 17th, would have finished 17th. He got back to 13th. I saw a track that was very racy. While it wasn't racy for the lead, and I think that's a testament to Kyle Busch and his team, it was very racy through mid-pack. Parker, I was watching you. Every time I looked up, you had your hands full with someone on the racetrack. <laughs> yeah, and actually one car you just mentioned there, Jim McMurray, the one. I noticed him and got very jealous of him multiple times and actually came on the radio and said, I want to be doing what he's doing because he was <laughs> running right on the wall and he was able to enter the corners right on the wall and really rim ride and keep up a ton of momentum. And I wanted to be able to do that, but I couldn't get my car to go through the bumps like his. So <laughs> it was very impressive what he was doing. Kudos to you, Jay McMurray, and well done getting through those bumps. Next time I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And that. his crew chief, Matt McCall, who's going to be on the show tomorrow, he's going to join Dave Burns. So we're splicing the field into three sections on the show today. The section that you were in, which is right behind the middle section yes, yes. and also the guy who was in front Kyle Busch of course we have to hit on him uh, in today's show we're also going to hear from his crew chief on why they work so well together just a little bit later on they certainly deserve that win over the weekend we're going to listen to the radios with Scan All Charlotte you're going to hear what it sounded like when Jimmy Johnson got tangled up with Denny Hamlin and how Ryan Blaney reacted when his car caught fire that's coming up in just a little bit but first we do have some tough news to report 13 months ago John Andretti two-time Cup Series race winner and nephew of Mario Andretti announced he'd been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and would begin undergoing treatment. Just two months ago, after completing chemotherapy, Andretti revealed that things were looking good. But in a tweet posted today, he revealed his cancer has returned and it's actually spread to other areas. So he is in the process of evaluating options for treatment. And we wish their family the best during what is a difficult time. NASCAR America, back up to this. Last Sunday, Austin Dillon looked to become the first repeat winner of the Coca-Cola 600 in more than a decade. Instead, he was the first big name to fall out of contention, as you will see in part one of Scan All Charlotte. This is the 59th running of the Coca-Cola 600. All right, Parker K, 600 miles, man. Keep communicating all night long. We're going to have a great, great race. Thanks for showing up. Before, boss, man. Thank you. The green flag flies, and Kyle Busch gets out of there in a hurry. Safety been around the middle, pretty much both ends. From the 39th starting position, it took Kevin Harvick 12 laps to break into the top 20. Only car faster than last lap was a leader. We got smoke. We got major damage. Right side. That's Austin's out. Chimpor, Chimpor. Yeah, the right rear wheel was filled with smoke that last time. Start fire extinguisher. Put it out, put it out. When you go to the garage, let's go to the garage and fix it. Trouble, turn four. Kevin Harvick hard into the wall, into turn three. It looked like something may have given away in the front of that car. Hang on to it here. Got a couple more coming. Like it blew the right front? Yeah, it's the left front. It blew one of the front tires. Yeah, sorry, guys. We'll get him next week. That's for damn sure. This will be the first time that Kevin Harvick has failed to finish. Well, hey, at least we can say we beat Harvick. 
Hey, that's a glass half full for sure. I have no idea who that was. Somebody was screaming. Yeah, I heard bleed over as well. We're gonna bottom. Inside. Inside quarter quarter. Hang on, baby. Hang on. One inside, one inside. Caution is out. Jimmy Johnson is sideways, and everybody tries to get on the binders. There you go. Catch your breath, now. Catch your breath. No contact. Be sure to thank the 11 for being such a great guy. What is he doing? Chris, did I miss something, or did he just cut right now? No, you, you're 100% correct. He just turned across your nose. Hello, hello, you found me? Get off the damn radio, whoever you are. Tyler, is that your cousin? Hey, mine sounds like they're from Denver. It's either raining or somebody's leaking. I got my windshield covered. Pull on up here. Just let me know what's getting worse, please. Ryan Blaney, his car is on fire. He is down on the apron of the racetrack. On fire there. On fire there. Stop and get out if you can. Stop on the two here. Stop it on two. Start getting out. Stop right there. It's fire truck right in front of you. Start getting out. I don't mind it blowing up, but it didn't have to burn up. Man, it was like a bomb went off. Damn. He had a damn light show there. Jimmy Johnson is now up to third. Game face when you can, please. Come back. Game face when you can. Save fuel. No. Game face. Go fast. Okay. So some interesting stuff happening on the radios. Yeah. A fan got in there at one point? I think, uh, Steve, I don't know if you heard this, and I, I heard this after the race from a couple people, that there was like a fan or someone that was hacking into the radios with some of the teams. You heard it there with Jay McMurray's team and was just saying crazy things. And I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how that happens or how those all works, but it's pretty crazy to hear that. And pretty annoying for a race team to have someone doing that. Yeah, we've had it before on the race team as well. You know, you try to give out the frequencies for the scanner. There's a few decimal points missing to be a broadcast channel. Um, so sometimes in some big cities you have bleed over. Uh, silly as it sounds, the 24 frequency in Phoenix is very close to a cab company. We heard a lot of cabs getting called to Lower Buckeye oh, on the radio man. during the race. But um, <laughs> I've never heard of a fan trying to purposely disrupt it. I don't know if that's what it was, but it can be frustrating for sure at what is already a long, frustrating night. Oh, yeah, that sounds obnoxious, especially in yeah. a race like this that is so long. You well, yeah, and I, I heard it wasn't just only the one car. There was a couple other cars that, that suffered it as well. So I think I've heard of other teams having some, you know, issues where some things around them kind of interfere, but this seemed a little bit targeted, so that was odd. And then you heard there uh, Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson. I heard the same thing Jimmy heard, which was save, save. You know, save fuel, basically. And he was saying game face, I guess. <laughs> that was tough. That I, I'm totally on to Jimmy's say? side with that one. Is that a weird thing to say, Steve? Game face? It seems like, you know, a, a team like Jimmy and Chad, you know that they've been <laughs> together for so long. I would assume they're having some discussions away from the racetrack because that would not be one that I would just break out in the middle of the race. <laughs> Without a previous discussion, I'm not sure what game face was supposed to mean go fast, apparently. Well, listen, I think everybody's nerves are a little bit on edge when you have a race that is as mentally and physically challenging, even for an extremely fit driver like Jimmy Johnson. It takes us to our social pit stop of the day. Everybody seemed a little bit exhausted after yes. this one, and that included Jimmy Johnson. Nothing beats a Gatorade after 600 miles last night. Although he's pretty sprightly there. Yeah. So no, he, he actually, he's fit. out of all the drivers I've seen, he looked okay after the race. Um, Alex Bowman letting his followers know that he is not doing a dang thing the day after <laughs> the race. Uh, safe to say that's probably most of the field felt that way. We made you work. I had to come to NASCAR America. <laughs> uh, this is the best one. Bubba Wallace. Um, he basically described <laughs> how he and other drivers felt after getting out of the car on Sunday night.
I actually quoted this tweet and said I felt the same way. Yeah, just a wobbly giraffe. No, I really do have to give you props because you really came in. You were a trooper. You were struggling, a little dehydrated, a little sore. dropped a couple yep. pounds. But, you know, Steve, a lot of people wouldn't change that. This race is 600 miles, and it's fun for fans. It's fun for us to see drivers be tested in this way. Yeah, Carolyn, now I'll be the first one to tell you that we don't need 36 500-mile races. We don't need 36 400-mile races. You need a variety. And I don't think there needs to be multiple 600s, but I am a big fan of having one. There has to remain one race on the schedule that is a true test of endurance. And I think that 600 miles around a mile-and-a-half racetrack is the perfect mix of man and machine. We don't see a lot of engine failures over the course of the year. We did see one with Ryan Blaney. We just saw it in Scanall. And the drivers, this is still a race that you have to prepare for. I had a lot of conversation with Dale Jr. and Jeff Burton about the 600-mile race, and they both explained to me that no matter how many times they told themselves or prepared, it was that last 100 miles, that last chunk of distance that perhaps tests you physically, but maybe even more importantly, mentally. To get your mind around that hurdle of a four-hour race where you just can't make a mistake. I mean, think about that. I have a hard time paying attention to a great movie. And this is about two <laughs> movies worth. You know, these guys have to be on edge. And now, Parker, you can explain, they don't even really get cautions off. You know, you're saving fuel under yellow. You're getting your pit timing lines as aggressive as possible under yellow. You're communicating to your driver. I actually saw one tweet. I think it was from uh, Jamie McMurray, but I could be wrong about his watch and his what he burned, it was something like 4,000 calories. So I don't know how accurate that is, but it seems like a long day's work. I'm glad I didn't have to drive one of those things, Parker. That, that was, was Ricky crazy. Stenhouse's watch. It was just That's about 4,000 calories. Right. Well, the, and that was a crazy point. But you, you brought up even another point, which is that the cautions aren't even rest. We, we are now constantly saving fuel because it's not only to make our, you know, be able to go further, but it's also to make our pit stop shorter. The less fuel we have to take in a pit stop, the shorter that pit stop is. So that means spots on pit road. And that means in the car, you have just very little time to even get a drink. Some drivers bring little bits of food in the car for a 600-mile race. I actually, for the first time ever, put a protein bar in the car and had one bite of it, thought I was maybe going to lose it after about 20 laps, so I never <laughs> ate that again. But, you know, that's the part of things you're doing, and it's that last 100 laps. As, as Steve just said, with Dale Hart Jr. saying it's those last 100 laps, it's so funny. You get to that last stage break, and I thought, man, there's 100 laps left in this race? How is that possible? How are we still racing? It's such a test of your mental ability, your physical ability. And as Steve said, it's one of the few races right now that we have that – still test the cars a little bit. You know, we've, we've seen as we've gone to 400-mile races and such, the cars are not going to break. The drivers might break before the cars. And now the drivers are getting so physically fit, that's not even happening. But when you add that extra 100 miles, a 600-mile race, four hours and 23 minutes is what this race was this past weekend, then that tests everything. And the engine builders will tell you they are always on pins and needles that last 100 miles. Yeah, it's unique, which is why it's one of the best races of the year, no doubt. Um, coming up, the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program has produced current Cup drivers Kyle Larson, Bubba Wallace and Daniel Suarez. Coming up, we're going to tell you the story of a former college basketball player who's now breaking down barriers on pit road. Her inspirational journey is next. I went over to the bathroom to, to start changing, and there was a lady in the mirror like doing her makeup. She sees me putting on my fire suit, and she looks over at me. She's like, "Are you a driver?" And I'm like, "No, I'm a, a tire changer." And she's like, "Oh." God and you know she comes over to me and she hugs me so tight she's like thank you I knew from that day that I was going to make a huge impact
Serena Williams won her first major match since returning from the birth of her child on Sunday, while Rafael Nadal won his first round match in three sets despite a weather delay. The French Open continues on NBC this Saturday at noon Eastern. It is all part of NBC Sports Championship season, presented by Canada Dry Ginger Ale and Lemonade. Thursday on NASCAR America, we will have a special look at this year's NASCAR Drive for Diversity Pit Crew Combine. 17 former college athletes from across America competed for the chance to enter the Drive for Diversity's development program. Brianna Daniels, a former basketball player at Norfolk State, passed the Drive for Diversity Combine back in 2016, and she went on to become NASCAR's first African-American female crew member. As her career grows, her story has become an inspiration to many. And with more, here's the Today Show's Chanel Jones. Race car drivers are known for their speed, focus, and fearlessness. But when the car stops, it's the pit crew that takes on that danger. Brianna Daniels knows just how risky the job can be. Five lug nuts, five off, five on. She has just 15 seconds to change two tires under intense pressure. Be patient, be calm, focus. As NASCAR's first female African-American pit crew member, the 24-year-old is changing more than just tires. She's also changing the face of a sport where the athletes and audience skew white and male. I feel like a hero. Like, I really am paving the way for others. And, you know, just them seeing me do it, it makes them, you know, want to be a part of something, too, like this. Brianna's race to NASCAR history started two years ago when the lifelong athlete was finishing her senior year at Norfolk State University. Right before graduation, she was approached by a recruiter for NASCAR's Drive for Diversity program in an attempt to attract minorities and females to the sport. And I was like, NASCAR pit crew, like what is that? Despite having never seen a NASCAR race or even changed a tire, Brianna decided to try out. She was the only girl who showed up, which worried coach Phil Horton. I'm looking for athletes to come in, be bigger, stronger, faster, to be pit crewmen. And when she came in, I was like, no way, not gonna happen. So you walk into the room, you see a group of, of guys. They probably think they're about to just make this happen, don't they? Right. What happened? crushed them and I just I just had that dog in me that day and I saw these guys I'm like I got something to prove. Brianna made the team and began grueling two-a-day practices. Practices where she learned the intense and sometimes scary process of changing a race car tire which I found out was as difficult as it looks. You want to try it? Sure. All right you start hitting when the jack man moves. Wait hold on wait what? <laughs> I have no idea what's gonna happen. Oh, I feel like something's gonna happen. Hold up. <laughs> okay. ah! oh, good job. You got see one. one. Okay. See one? Yeah. See that? Yeah. Everybody see that? And with Brianna's coaching, I got a little better. Ah! Woo! All, right. Ah! All right. There's the time. 51 seconds. <laughs> that ain't bad. Oh, my gosh. It ain't good, <laughs> but it ain't bad. After months of hard work, Brianna was invited to pit her first race, inspiring fans before she even got on the track. I went over to the bathroom to, to start changing, and there was a lady in the mirror like doing her makeup. She sees me putting on my fire suit, and she looks over at me, she's like, are you a driver? And I'm like, no, I'm a, a tire changer. And she's like, oh my God. And you know, she comes over to me, she hugs me so tight. She's like, thank you. I knew from that day that I was gonna make a huge impact, you know? 
Since then, Brianna has pitted in 16 NASCAR National Series races. With each race, she's shattering stereotypes and cheering on girls just like her. And what would you say to young girls watching? Don't think about the naysayers, what anybody negative has to say. If you find it in your heart that you want to do something, you go ahead and do that. I don't care if you're blue, red, orange, yellow, just do the thing. Our thanks to Chanel Jones and the Today Show for that. It was a great piece, Steve. And I love Brianna's athlete mentality. She showed up with all the guys and said, you know what? I'm just as good as you. And that's what you need in the pits, I'm sure. Absolutely, Karen. You have to have that confidence. But I applaud the entire program. You know, racing is unlike most sports. You know, high schools don't have race teams. Most local towns don't have race teams. To being exposed to racing, kind of by me, it came through my family. And if you don't live near a local racetrack, you may never see racing up close. I think the program's working, and she's the perfect example of skill and ability trumps everything. And she has a bright future changing tires on pit road. You know, one of the most recent examples of the program's success took place in February when Darrell Edwards became the first NASCAR drive for diversity pit crew member to win the Daytona 500. He pits as the tire carrier and jackman for Austin Dillon. So the program doing great work. We'll have more for you on that on Thursday. In the meantime, coming up, it is definitely good to be Kyle Busch. He is one of the best drivers in the sport and some of the sport's best equipment. But when we come back, we're going to show you how the other half lives and focus on some of the drivers in the back of the field doing the most with what they've got. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. I think everybody just around the sport really appreciates how hard that is. And uh, for him to do that, particularly Kyle's young, and for him to be able to get that done at this age, I think is special and... uh, uh, I, I think everybody around the sport really appreciates it. With his victory Sunday night, Kyle Busch has won at all 23 tracks on the current cup schedule. His 377 laps led were the second most in the race's 39-year history, which also added three stage wins. So he was the winner. But Parker has a few other winners from Sunday. One of those, Ross Chastain, did not end up in victory lane, but you still consider him coming out on the winning end of Sunday night. Why? No doubt. He qualified 25th, uh, which was a really impressive qualifying for him in that number 15 premium motorsports car. Uh, And he's actually been in this car since past Daytona. And it was an incredible qualifying lap. He actually beat Alex Bowman, who qualified 27th. And that's, you know, outdoing his budget level by a long margin. But then he ran up there the whole race and actually finished in 25th or 24th, I believe. And that's his best finish for that car all year. So that was a really impressive day for Ross Chastain. He beat some far more highly funded cars. He just did an excellent job in that number 15 premium sports car. And in a lot of ways, that's a win for him because that's a team that a top 25 is a win. That's the best they could possibly hope for going up against the budget levels that they're going up against. And it's not any different than other sports where we see an underdog team beat the dominant team. It's just that we don't get to see them actually win. We have to go you know, sift through the field and find it. And that's what we saw of Ross Chastain. I know this is a topic that's important to you and that you've wanted to highlight for a while because you know what it's like to be grinding for those finishes. And just because you don't get all the fanfare and the pictures afterwards, you still might come out on top in the weekend. You mentioned Alex Bowman. He drives for Hendrick Motorsports. Sports. It's not exactly a small fish. In this <laughs> no, thing. not at all. It's not exactly fit in line with the narrative of what we're trying to do here. But still, 
His ninth place finish, does that deserve inclusion in what we're talking about here? I believe so because he qualified 27th and I talked to him before the race at driver introductions and he was not very happy with that race car. He wasn't happy with his performance so far on that weekend. And he said, this is one of my favorite racetracks and we're running terribly. And then he got in the race and things started to click into place. I know he gave a lot of credit to his pit crew with this result, but I mean, that was a very good drive by him to go all the way from 27th to finish inside the top 10. That's a win for that team you know if you look at that situation and how Hendrick Motorsports has not run great on the mile and a half this year that was a very impressive performance by Alex Bowman another driver that came to your mind the driver of the 34 Ford for front row motorsports Michael McDowell this is a win for him as well no doubt I actually ran in the back of him one point uh, when there was a caution at one point <laughs> of the race but you know this was a very impressive day for him he finished 18th which was a top 20 which is exactly what front row motorsports should be looking to do you know this is a team that actually reinvested a lot of uh, funding into this year and tried to take this team to the next level and they're starting to see some of the fruits of those labors. They have a closer alliance with Roush Fenway Racing and this is actually one of their best finishes of the season, especially on a mile and a half. So it's a very impressive day for that 34 car and these are the days that they need if they're going to go from being that team that's just trying to be in the top 30 in points to being a team that's fighting to be the top 25 in points. So like Ross Chastain, that is a win for Michael McDowell in that 34 team. Steve, want to bring you in on this. What's your experience in the back of the field, highlighting some of the things that Parker's discussing, which is how difficult it is back there. Well, Caroline, I've been very fortunate in my career to work with Jeff Gordon and Dale Jr. and spent a lot of my time with fully funded teams towards the front half of the field. But when we tripped up and went back in the field, I learned just how difficult it was to race. When you get back behind about 15th, it's like the wild, wild west. These guys on restarts, it is crazy. You see the front five or six rows somewhat organized behind that. They come to the line too wide, but very quickly after that, they will spread out. And the problem is you have to play offense and defense at the same time. I mean, look at this mess right here. It is truly like a riot. You don't know where the next punch is coming from because as you work on the car in front of you, there's two, three, or four cars trying to work on you. That's what makes the back half of these fields so difficult. Chad Canales and I used to call it the black hole. If you have a pit problem and you get outside the top 15, you get sucked into this black hole of chaos. And unless you make a pit call or have a great restart, it is very difficult to ever get out of that black hole back to the front of the race where at least you have an idea of what your car is doing. It's even hard to adjust a car back there. Aerodynamics plays such a huge part. I mean, Parker, you know, from the bottom to the middle to the top, two wide, three wide, your car drives different every lap, so how can you ever ask your crew chief to make a change and hope that's the right change for your car? Oh, no no, no doubt about that, Stephen. I loved earlier today you actually called it a bar fight back there, and that's a great <laughs> representation of what it's like being back in the pack. And the other thing that you mentioned is being offense and defense because when you're in the back of the pack and you're racing, trying to move forward, you're not only trying to race the cars ahead of you, but you're also racing time over distance versus the leader because you're trying not to go laps down. So you're also, it's, as much as you're trying to pass cars ahead of you you're constantly trying to find out what the leader is doing and when you have a car like Kyle Busch had this past weekend that's leading the race and so much vastly faster than the rest of the field that hurts the cars in the back because it means you're going to go a lap down quicker so that then puts you further behind as you get to the stage ends and you try to take wave around or hopefully get lucky dogs it just compounds your race to making you far far fall further back from the rest of the field. So it is one of the toughest, most ferocious places you will find in all of racing. And I have said for a long time, you will never race harder in your life 
than you will mid-pack in a cup race. It's something that you're really passionate about and something that we want to do more of here on NASCAR America. We want to pay attention to what's going on in the back half of the field, so we're going to try to do it every week. If you at home have an idea for what you want to call this, what you want to see, drivers you want to see highlighted each week, you can send it to Parker on Twitter. Please do, yes. Yeah, use, we'll uh, take all the suggestions. Find Parker Kugelman on Twitter, and we're going to figure out a way that we can kind of package this all together so we can start to highlight some of these performances Definitely. that didn't end up in victory lane. When it comes to NASCAR fantasy, I would say I am mid-pack right now. <laughs> I am not completely in the I'm back. I'm back in the pack. Don't worry. I'm not completely in the back. I'm certainly not up front. Um, but we have your picks. Steve, talk to us here. Take us through your process here. Well, Carolyn, it, the race started off lovely. Can I just go by just the start of the race? Listen, I had the pole sitter. I, I had two of the stages. But I thought Kevin Harvick, who knew he was going to have a flat tire? I thought he was going to be around at the end. And then, you know, it was a decent night. Kevin Harvick was really the one that hurt. I won't lie, Kevin Harvick, he came out of my lineup as soon as he hit the wall. Kurt Busch went in, so I ended up not doing too awful. I'm sorry, are my eyes deceiving me, or did you pick Kyle Busch to win two stages, but you don't have him in your top five? Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? Well, because you can see, Carolyn, I don't have him winning the race. So I thought the love-hate relationship between Kyle Busch and Charlotte was going to show up in the third and final stage. I was not so lucky, which is fortunate for Kyle Busch. His team earned the win. But um, so, you know, it definitely hurt my fantasy team a little bit. Shame on me for betting on Kevin Harvick. I, I hurt put, myself. I put him in my top five, but I put Kyle Busch in there as well. And yeah. Jimmy Johnson. I'll pat myself on the back for that Well one. done. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. That's a good call. I, uh, I hurt myself by choosing myself. So <laughs> that's, that really hurt my fantasy team. Uh, I did have Kyle Busch. I thought Brad Kozlowski would find a way to win this race after he was so good in the Xfinity race. Uh, but no, I, I, I probably really hurt myself. I should have taken, if I could have had my phone in the car, I would have put Eric Jones in over me. Okay, fair enough. Do you want to see how our NASCAR broadcast team's doing so far? Dustin Long continues to lead the charge. Wow. He's feeling a little bit of pressure from Barney Snyder, uh, Lee Diffie, and Junior as well. You can find out who gets bragging rights in three weeks at Sonoma because that's when we're wrapping this deal up. Uh, meantime, Sunday was a double whammy for our boy Landon Castle. Finished one spot behind Parker in the Coke 600, and he's trailing Parker in the fantasy standings. Ooh. Oh, boy. And uh, Kyler Rutledge basically need to go to the garage. That ain't right. I think they're starting justice. parking this one. Look, as long as, as long as I'm not in the last three, I am perfectly <laughs> fine to be right in the middle and not even a part of this conversation. I just didn't want to finish last. Yeah. I'm happy with that. That's right. That's right. That's, that's, that's our basic <laughs> We're aiming salary. high. Um, if you need some help, which I could probably take a little bit of help, um, setting your lineup for next week's race, because we've only got a couple more of these deals at Pocono, remember to go to Roto World. You get driver updates. You get race previews. You get all this stuff. So go to rotoworld.com slash NASCAR. You can check it out all the time. and I could reference it as well. Uh, <laughs> Sunday night in Charlotte, Kyle Busch, big reason to smile. Coming up, the Coke 600 winner reflects on finally getting that elusive Charlotte victory. That is straight ahead. Stay with us. Well, last night, truly a spectacle on the strip as Vegas took game one in the Stanley Cup final with a thrilling 6-4 win. Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals now looking to even the series. Our coverage of game two starts with NHL Live tomorrow at 6 Eastern right here on NBCSN. And adding even more excitement to the pregame festivities will be Kurt Busch, the Las Vegas native, going to be a guest on NHL Live to discuss what the Golden Knights' run to the finals has meant his hometown. It's been really special. Kurt's going to be rooting on Vegas tomorrow night, as will his younger brother, Kyle, who is still basking in the glow of his Coca-Cola 600 win. Let's revisit that milestone victory in part two of today's Scan All Charlotte. 
everybody stands up tonight, celebrate this 600. We're ready to go racing in Charlotte. I put a lot of um, emphasis on this race or a lot of pressure on this race. And, um, you know, this has always been one of my favorite tracks. I've always thought I've run well here. I just haven't been able to score the win here. The green flag flies and Kyle Busch gets out of there in a hurry. As we took the green flag, uh, Logano got a pretty good start on me and kind of beat me on the bottom. I was kind of surprised that, uh, that the bottom outdid the top on the initial start, but um, he did. Kyle Busch wants it back. The pole center gets to the inside of Joey Logano off turn two. And I was able to finally get underneath him. And when I got underneath him and got the lead, uh, car felt good. Uh, as the longer the runs went, though, everybody kind of seemed to slide around. And my car wasn't sliding around as much as anybody else. I am forward. Look left, look left. My bad, sorry guys. Sorry about that, Paul. I'd like to stay out if I can. It's fine, stay out. The two car missed his pit, I guess, and then stayed out on old tires, and he kind of held up the inside lane on a restart, so that was a bit chaotic for many of the guys that were in that lane, I'm sure. Inside, your middle, your middle. And less than a lap, Brad Kozowski from the lead to 20th position. And that did not do any good to Denny Hamlin, who restarted right behind him. How about a up, just pit, other than trying to cause a wreck. Knew he wasn't going to stay up there, dumb Kyle Busch is pitching a shutout. He won stage one, stage two, and now stage three. Car is really good. We've all got to stop one more time here. Today, trying to make sure that we're keeping up with our car, and uh, we were making adjustments and really put a premium on, on not making mistakes. There were definitely some moments in the last um, 60 laps or so. I was out on old tires, and there were a bunch of people blending off a of pit road, and they were faster than me, so they were splitting me going right, going left. It was uh, it was a bit chaotic, and I was over the radio to Adam, like, traffic, traffic, get him out of here. I think I'm getting my ass kicked here in traffic. Check on finish this one. A couple more here. We're in good shape. You know, needed to get to pit road. Fortunately, we did. Everything was clean there. We are the leader. 3.75 out back. From beginning to end, it's been the Kyle Busch show as he has been absolutely perfect. Kyle Busch wins for the first time in Charlotte. Still 600, guys. Yes! Ever since I was a kid, I dreamt of this, man. Yes! Tell me what you were thinking when he crossed the finish line with the checkers out. Uh, I was thinking, finally. Kyle Busch has now conquered every active track on the NASCAR circuit. Finally, to be able to get the Coke 600 checked off that list, and it uh, felt like tonight, sometimes you just have all the stars align, and tonight was one of those nights. You know, he's a future Hall of Famer and a one-of-a-kind talent, uh, and we may never see another Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch and the 18 team left no doubt Sunday night. But what about this weekend at Pocono? Could we see a new face in victory lane? Our analysts have some ideas. Stay with us. That's next. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. I don't know if anyone's asked you this yet or not because I just got in here a minute ago. Which racing package do you like better, tonight or tonight. last week? Mm-hmm. How about you, Denny? No comment. <laughs> the rules package has been a trending topic as the season has progressed. We're going to examine that and some other top stories during the first half of the regular season tomorrow. Jamie McMurray coming off a top 10 finish at Charlotte. We're going to hear from his crew chief, Matt McCall, the latest installment of A Driver's Drive featuring Ryan Blaney, who earned his first career cup win at Pocono nearly one year ago. So all that coming up on tomorrow's NASCAR America, another great show in store. Some final thoughts here. 
Uh, Steve, let's start with you. The theme of today's show has really been looking beyond the leader, the middle part of the pack, the back half of the pack. And I'm wondering what kind of racing you expect at Pocono. Are we going to see that excitement behind maybe one or two dominant drivers as soon as this weekend? Well, one thing that Pocono brings is a lot of creativity from pit road. So because of the length of the lap, you could pin and not lose a lap. And basically what that means is that not only do you have to have a fast race car, but you have to have a good strategy and you have to have both to go to victory lane. We saw Chris Buescher get a little fortunate there in the fog years ago. I've been fortunate enough to win that race on a couple different strategies. We've seen dominant cars win races, but we've also seen people like Ryan Blaney go up and pass someone like Kyle Busch to win that race a year ago. Kevin Harvick got beat by Ryan Blaney a year ago. So when you look at the points and you look at the six drivers that have won the races, I really think I would look outside of those six as potential guys that could win this weekend. It's getting to that time. We're halfway to the playoffs. What are you going to do if you're Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, maybe Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who got in last year on wins? Paul Menard, he won the Brickyard 400 on a fuel gamble. Will someone outside the top 10 start getting very, very courageous with their strategy or even their setups to try to knock off the likes of Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch? Agreed with you there, Steve. And actually, one driver that really sticks out to me there in 14th place, Eric Jones in that 20 car. We know he was at, had a great car this past weekend at the Coca-Cola 600. I just feel like he is primed and ready to win a race. And maybe it could happen at Pocono with how unique that racetrack is. But if you're looking for excitement, then look no further than the restarts at Pocono mid-pack, where it will be four wide, sometimes five wide, as they go off into turn one. And that is what we're talking about. Because when you are packed mid-pack at Pocono in a restart, you will go off into turn one and your spotter will say this you're on your own because it's <laughs> impossible to tell you what is going on around you and that happens all the time because there's so many cars around you the vantage point of the spotter isn't great and therefore as you head off in turn one sometimes you just go off in there and think i'm just gonna hold my line and hope this works out parker my best tj majors quote ever he told dale jr one time if that's you behind the 22 you're clear if that's not you then I don't know where you are. You must be four <laughs> wide in the group behind you. And that's basically that poking on a nutshell. Perfectly, yes, you exactly. Know, my eye goes to Jimmy Johnson on that grid. Oh, you, you seem to be very pro Jimmy Johnson. I am. Today. I'm pro Jimmy Johnson. He's trending in the right direction. And Steve Letarte was the one that mentioned on the show weeks ago that he feels like Jimmy Johnson is figuring out how to do more with less. If we're talking about a situation where anything could happen at Pocono, maybe seven times going to get his win. All right, that's it. We are back tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern from the Big Oak Table in Charlotte. Have a great night. We'll see you then. Same time. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.